0: it's our prayer that this message from God's word will deeply impact
1: your life. Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Oh, great, great to have you here. They can do better than oh, that. Come on. You want to, you want over the roof? Come on, good morning. Good morning. Joe is a little hard of hearing, so we're going to balance <laughs> that all out. That's why, you know, we're going to do, hey, Joe, I don't, you know, we don't often preach together at the same time. Yeah, this is fun. And I, I'm usually about a 22-minute preacher, and you're usually about a 72-minute preacher, so I brought lunch. Ouch. Ouch. Just, just in case, you know, just uh, Portuguese is bread. Portico knows how to do things right. Look how at that. How many of you love Portuguese bread? You see,
0: th- this is regular white people bread. This is Portuguese bread. This is the
1: good stuff. Ooh! You've thrown it down now. All right, get your Bibles out, get your apps <laughs> out, get your notes out. Let's redeem the morning. Hey, you uh, know what?
0: Before we start, i got to yeah, say, okay, I've been here for several months now, and week after week, that worship team, man, just take me into the presence of God. Yeah, yeah. And you know, I haven't heard him yet, but I think I would love to hear Pastor Dwayne preach. What about you? That guy's got
1: some wisdom. I'm just throwing that out there. All right. That's it. <laughs> That's it. It's good. We will hear him. Today we're going to work. All right. Okay, back to where we were. See, this is what I put up with every week. All right, get your notes out, get your Bibles out, get your inserts out. You can follow along. If you're online, welcome. Those hey, of you welcome. that are joining us online today, it's great to have you with us. Uh, we're going to dive deep into a series. Now, Yeah. Uh, the title's already up there. It's Searching for Jesus. We're in a little bit of a series. The subtitle that we're talking about today is Bread of Life. You're a, You're a foodie. You like... Food. You don't like food? I do. But <laughs> Yes, I, I love food, man. But you I
0: <laughs> no, I didn't mean that. I wasn't go, I wasn't doing any comparison. The camera's at ten pounds. There's three True. cameras pointing yeah. at me, so
1: we have actually got three out there. <laughs> We're thirty pounds heavier than normal. Uh, Joe, <laughs> as you've traveled though, so favorite yeah. food, like you've been all over the world. I've had the privilege of traveling probably yeah. nowhere near extensively as you have, but favorite food?
0: I, I gotta give it to Southeast Asia. I think I have to give it to, uh, either Ooh. to Thailand or Hong Kong. Best food in the world. And, and my favorite is beef ho feng. Is that good? Is that, was he right? Beef ho feng. And you have to say it with the, with the accent I learned, with that, like, little umph. Okay,
1: yeah. And it. I
0: learned how to say good morning. And if you don't say it right, it just sounds weird. But you have to say it like, you almost have to, like, lift up your toes. And you say, Josan See, they knew. That means good morning. Joseon up like this. Are we
1: doing good so far? He's doing okay. Listen, come on down. Have a loaf of bread. <laughs> seriously, come on down. No, come, no, come. Seriously. We want to give you a loaf of bread.
0: We and up it, but
1: it's hard bread. Come we're we're going to be giving it away. So if you want one right now, here it is. Yeah, give her a big hand. There it is. <laughs> you pick any loaf you like. Yeah. When we massacre other people's languages, the best thing we can do is give away Reward bread. You. So. Hey, you, you, you Scottish good.
0: folk yeah. have this—I think it's called food. This thing that you guys—that they consume. No, listen to it.
1: Tell me if you want to eat it. It's fish and chips. No, no, it's not fish and chips. It's called haggis, and we don't talk about it in church on Sunday because it just—look, we want people it. to stay with us. Yeah, they can't stomach it. We we just want them to stay. So that with was us. a
0: joke because they make it in stomach the food. Yeah, yeah, I wasn't. Funny. Leave it there.
1: All right, we're good. Here we are. We're, it's, seriously. Yeah, hunker down. You might want to come and grab bread. We could be here for a while. We're in a series called Searching for Jesus. Last week, Joe set up our series for us. Great message. If you missed it, you need to go back, go online, get to our media site and download or follow it along and listen. It set the groundwork for everywhere that we're going. Because what you did is a brilliant presentation on the historical reality of the person of Jesus Christ not only in archaeology, not only in biblical texts, but in extra-biblical texts, we know Mm -hmm. that Jesus existed, He lived, there's records, there's accounts, there's conversations. So nobody can deny His presence. Right. And so now when we look at that, we come into this whole part of Jesus going, I am the Son of God. And now this is where people begin to divide because they go, okay, I'll give you Jesus was alive. We even saw that on a little video clip. Right, from a well-known atheist. Yeah. Yeah, so they're willing to concede and they say, okay, Jesus existed... But what we wanted to do is to take it a little bit deeper. We wanted to get into a conversation and say, all right, if, if we know Jesus mm-hmm. existed, we all have our opinions, there's popular opinions, there's, you know, and a lot of the teachers and professors have opinions. But if you really want to understand who Jesus is, and you're searching, and you're welcome to do that, we invite people that are on an honest quest of faith to come and ask questions. Of course. But if you're searching for Jesus, we felt one of the best ways to dive into this uh, series mm-hmm was to go to what he had to say about himself. Exactly. Because there's nuances when Jesus speaks. There's nuances of culture, language, time, precedent that gets set there. But then there's also this extrapolated application for all of us Mm -hmm. that we can discover truth in his statements. So we've taken what what I would say are six of maybe the most pronounced or the most memorable statements that he makes. We're going to unpack those, and the one we're going to deal with today is called... I am the bread of life. Yeah, And so we're going to have a little bit of fun as we d- dive into that. So take your notes out because we're going to give you a, some teaching points and uh, maybe explain Wednesday night where we get set up. What are you going to do on yeah, Wednesday yeah. nights? Yeah,
0: absolutely. Uh, you know, we're launching our, our growth groups again after a bit of a break from the Christmas and New Year season. This Wednesday night here at the church, Wednesday nights at Portico, I'm going to be leading that out moving forward. And what we're doing is we're going to be not just deep diving what we talk about here on a Sunday morning, Because sometimes, you know, the clock is going, you have 35 minutes, and you have all this information because we have such great pastors on team that when we get together on a Thursday morning, there's so much good teachable moments that we just don't have the time to unpack everything here. So on the Wednesday night session here at the church, I'll be kind of leading that and we'll be going a little bit deeper. And then that information is also going to spill over into our smart group, our smart, our growth groups all across. Well, they're smart. They're smart too, yeah. Well, once they hear the material, they'll be even smarter. Yeah. So so that, that's on Wednesday nights. And yeah, the truth is we just don't get a chance to cover everything off, and we want to make sure that they don't miss anything.
1: So we want to look at a couple of ways of handling today's conversation because Jesus is approached by a, a crowd of people, and John refers to them as the Jews, and typically that meant people from Judea and that had traveled to hear him and talk to him. And he's approached by them and... Asked a couple of questions which prompted Jesus' statement when he said, I am the bread of life. So what we want to be able to do is give you context, what's taking place there, what's the importance of that, and then Mm -hmm. sort of how do we apply that into our world today. And so as we set this up, let me go into a little bit of in your notes. We'll look at what is the context of the statement. And as we get into the scriptures, let me read for you, John chapter 6, 26 and 27. The people that found Jesus, and here's what he said to these people. He said, Very truly I tell you, you're looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, so had the feeding of the 5,000, I'm going to explain that, okay. not for the signs I performed, but because you ate loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, for on Him God the Father has placed the seal of approval. This is what prompts this statement, I am the bread of life. A little bit of background. Jesus is in the northern regions. We're going to look at a map in a few moments. And he had been performing a miracle. It was Mm -hmm. the feeding of the 5,000. We know it was a much bigger crowd than that. And there was the fish and the loaves, and he multiplied them and fed the group. Then Jesus goes off into the mountains to pray. Now, all the people that were gathered there, if if those of you that are familiar with the Scriptures, you'll remember Jesus, the disciples had said, send them away so they can go get food, and and Mm -hmm. because they knew it was too far. And Jesus goes, well, you feed them. And they go, well, how can we do that? Like, this could take a year's wages. How are we going to pull it all off? So this wonderful story. Go back and read it when you have a little more time. When the miracle is completed, Jesus will go up into the mountains to pray, but his disciples are sent back in the boat to go back to Capernaum. That's the night that Jesus is praying. The storm comes down upon the lake, and he sees them in the storm. Everybody following the story? Remember Mm -hmm. this part? They're freaking out. They think they're going to die. They're going to get swamped. When the disciples got in the boat to go to Capernaum, all the people on the shore remember seeing them get in the boats, and they remember Jesus wasn't with them. Yeah, that's cool. The next day, they're over in Capernaum. That was the night Jesus would walk on water, reveal himself to the disciples to get to Capernaum. The people make their way back to Capernaum. They get there, and they go, Hey, Rabbi, when did you get here? (laughs) So there was a little... uh, you know, there's some in, in, innuendo in the, in the statement there because they're going like, hey, we, we had a pretty good day yesterday. You fed us. They weren't really curious about, you know, what he was doing hanging out in the location there. There Ooh. was a sign, a, mir- a miraculous experience, actually, that took place, a sensational moment. Mm-hmm. They wanted to know, Jesus, how did you get here? We didn't see you in the boat. Yeah. And then this whole conversation about food begins to take place. It is fascinating. You're going to want to hear this. Uh, Joe, I want to go to two pictures. Can we put the pictures on the screen and you'll see these if you're watching online? Here's a picture of northern Israel. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to let you speak into this because I want you to set up where the miracle took place, where the city is. But can everybody see the number three? It's almost in the middle of the screen on the north part of the Sea of Galilee. Everybody see that? All right, so this is where we are in our notes today when we're Mm -hmm. teaching. We're talking about that little village of Capernaum. And it's there on the Sea of Galilee. Now, a couple of things mm-hmm. you're going to tell us our theology is wrong. It's not a sea. Not your theology, just the geography. <laughs> okay, geography. All right, go for it. So, explain a little bit. Where is this? What happened? How come this is all taking place? Yeah.
0: Well, first of all, geography is very important when you're reading the scriptures because you know here we are. We're we're like in Mississauga, right? We're thousands of kilometers or miles away from the original place where, where the stories took place. And so sometimes we can't visualize what things look like. Now, I don't know about you, but when I first read about the Jordan River, man, I thought it was this massive river. And it's like not even from here to the back of the room in most places. It's like a little creek that runs through, you know, the Holy Land. And so getting the geography is very, very important and understanding where, where the Sea of Galilee is. And it's not a theological thing. It's just, it's a reference term. It's actually not a sea because yeah. a sea is salt water. And this is Israel's only freshwater lake. So it's actually called the Lake of Tiberias. And it's basically, it's a glorified pond. because so it just kind of sits there and you have the Jordan River from the north. It just feeds in a little bit. It stays here and then it feeds out again from the bottom, goes through the Jordan Valley and ends up dumping in the Dead Sea, which is the lowest point on, on the planet. Now, I don't know about your tours, and in fact, Portico is teaming up with First Century Foundations to do a tour this coming fall, in October, I believe it is.
1: October 29th.
0: Yeah, and people, you guys can get um, brochures with prices and the itinerary back at the information desk. Now, on my tour, I always tell people, and I hope that you'll follow suit, no matter how much faith you have, when we get to the Sea of Galilee, please don't try to walk on the water. We lose more tourists that way. It's
1: complicated, so. Getting them back home is difficult, it's yeah. It's a pain, I get so please stay
0: yeah. in the boat.
1: Uh, <laughs>
0: now, if you look at the Lake of Tiberias, so the Sea of Galilee, of course, as we call it. And if you look at it as a clock, think of where the arms on 9 and 12 would be. Okay, so that kind of northwest quadrant, that's where most of the miracles and stories of Jesus in the north take place. It's always on this little uh, tiny piece of real estate in that northwest corner. This is a very orthodox, religious Jewish community. There are synagogues everywhere. People here are observant. They follow the Torah. They go, they go to synagogue on the Sabbath, mm-hmm. all these kinds of things. But when you get on a boat, or if you go actually by foot, it's about a seven-hour walk. You can go across because, remember, it's landlocked, so it's easy to go across to the other side. And when you get there, you've now crossed over into a different political region. It's no longer under control by the Romans or by the Jews. It's under control by the Greeks in a part of the country called the Decapolis. Uh, deca meaning ten, the yeah. city. So the ten great cities of the empire. And the Decapolis is not... Uh, a good region to be if you're if you're a kosher Jew, because the eastern side's filled with bad people. Pastor Doug. Okay. Yeah. They eat bacon over there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: See, now we got bread and bacon. This is like breakfast is coming. I'm telling you. <laughs> All is this, right. Is
0: this chorus or Portico? Anyway. No, let's go. So. Um, yeah, that side is the non-kosher side. And that's the side where people aren't observant. They're not living the orthodox religious lifestyle. You know, they eat whatever they want. They do whatever they want. And when Jesus is in the Northwest performing his his, his ministry and he's tired, he knows that if he goes to the other side, they're not looking for him there. They're busy with the day-to-day things. They're not looking for the Messiah. They're just looking
1: for the next, the next paycheck. So I'm going to hold everybody tracking so far, you're with us on this? Alright, so there's a there's one blank. I'm just going to have you fill the Word in because it's all going to tie together. The one blank in the Word is sensationalism. Yeah. People are always chasing Jesus. They want the spectacular. And that's really what was going on in the story here again. Now go back to the map for me if you don't mind because want Joe, sure. I want to point something out. So as we're looking, you see Capernaum. So you see that if you move up around the top and down to the right-hand side over in the Bethsaida area where this feeding of oh. the 5,000 takes place... There's another story, just 30 seconds on this. Jesus would actually deliver a man from an evil oh, yes. spirit. So a lot of people, when they read the Bible and they hear the Bible, they go, see, this is why I can't trust the Bible, because Jews, kosher. Yeah, can't have pigs. No pigs. So what's the deal? Why would they be taking care of pigs? Therefore, I can't trust the scriptures, Joe. Yeah. What's that all about? Yeah.
0: Again, unless you know the geography and the culture. Remember the eastern side, not Jewish, not kosher. So the Greeks love, you know, to eat that kind of food. So on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee, it was okay to raise, to raise, uh, pigs. And so that's why pigs were on that side of the lake. And that's why he was able to drive the demons into the swine. That would never happen on the west side, but
1: on the east side. That's why that makes sense. All right, that's good. So everybody's got that. That's an important understanding because a lot of people don't understand that. So go back up into the the northeast corner now. We have the feeding of the 5,000. And we know that the geography, it'd be, you know, it's a good day. Like how many hours to walk back from the site where Jesus performed the miracle back over to the little village of Capernaum? minimum seven hours, probably closer to nine hours on a good day. It's a long walk. So that's why when Jesus said to the disciples, and they said, you know, can we send them home? The disciples asked Jesus, can we send the people home? They're tired. They need to get back to places to find food. They understood it was a long walk. And Jesus said, no, no, you feed them. So when these people who have been fed by Jesus get to Capernaum, they're surprised because they love the sensational work of Jesus. Now, I want to go to another picture for Mm. everybody in the room. Those of you that have traveled with us, and if you come with us again this year, or if you've never been and you want to come, we're going to go visit this area right here. Now, doesn't it look it's
0: beautiful? Lord. Yeah,
1: it doesn't look like a massive site, but what a beautiful location! So this is ancient Capernaum. That's right. Two real dominant uh, features that I want you to see here on the left side of the screen. There's kind of a octagon-shaped structure, Joe, and then on Mm -hmm. this right-hand side or in the middle, there's a a light-colored. Can you speak to those two? Because both of those fit into the world of Jesus.
0: Yeah, well, on the left, you have that kind of octagonal shape. That's actually a Roman Catholic church today. And that's built over the traditional site of the ruins of the house of the mother-in-law of Peter, the disciple of Jesus. And we have archaeological evidence there that that was probably the first home group that eventually would grow into what would become a church. So it's a very sacred, a very important place, and you're going to go there we are. on the tour. You're yeah. going to love, just to kind of get the visual. And then to the right, that, that, that white building, those are the ruins of a fourth century synagogue during what's called the Byzantine period, and that was built on the original ruins of the first century synagogue. So when Jesus goes throughout the Galilee preaching in synagogues, it's such a rush. It's such a point of identification when you get to go into that synagogue and think, wow, it was right here. Jairus was the ruler of this synagogue. Jesus went to his house right over there and raised this little girl from the dead. It's one of those things that I would love to encourage you. If you haven't been yet to Israel, please make sure you go at least once in your lifetime it'll connect you to the scriptures.
1: So now you got the movement. you got the people coming from the place of the miracle, making their way over to this little village, Capernaum. They encountered Jesus in the village. Rabbi, when did you get here? We didn't see you get in the boat. And the question really wasn't about, you know, Jesus, when did you get here? It's, we really liked what you did the other day. And so they were looking for their next meal. And so oftentimes, I think in our own experience, and as we're talking about searching for Jesus, I think a lot mm-hmm. of times, Joe, we look for the miraculously, we look for the sensational. We do. And we're not even really interested in what Jesus has to say to us. Yeah. And that's part of where he gets into this conversation with them.
0: Well, he kind of gives them a not-so-soft rebuke. Uh, remember, Jesus was not a Mrs. Mississaugan, okay? He was not a Canadian. Jesus was Jewish, and until you go over to that part of the world, you don 't realize that Middle Eastern people in the Middle East are very different than people who live here in the West. All it, all it takes is one trip to Israel. We are so polite here, right? If somebody had bad breath, all we do is take a step back and pray for them. That's it. But in Israel, they'll tell you, oh, dude, you stink. Did you brush this morning? They have no problem, and they're not trying to be mean. It's just the culture to be up front. And Jesus says, oh, stop with the niceties. You're not here to you know, to hear me speak. You're here because you still have the bread in your stomach from yesterday's miracle. You're just here for another trick. You're just here for another show. And Jesus says, that's not what we're about. I didn't come here to impress you. I didn't come here to show you really cool things. I came here to give you something that's going to last for eternity, not just bread that will feed you for a few hours, but I'm here as the bread of life to give you food that will last for eternity. And that sets the tone for a bit of a confrontation between the crowds and
1: Jesus. Now, we do that, though, in our our life, Joe. We look at Jesus for almost for what we can get out of him. Yeah, we do. You know, we, we trade him, and I like what you did with this. You, you had our graphic artist put something together because many times the way we approach Jesus is not so much for who he is and who he says he is. It's more for what it means to me.
0: Yeah, and what, what we can get out of him. You ever meet somebody who treats Jesus like this, like, like, a, like a vending machine? This is called the Jesus Christ vending machine. You know, put in a nickel. Jesus, give me what I want. Don't give me the spiel. Don't give me the commitment. Just give me what I want and let me walk away. You know, we know people who, who say this prayer that they don't even mean. Lord, if you rescue me from this situation, I promise I will never drink again. I'll, liar. <laughs> of course, the second you get out, you're going to go back and do it. But we have people who treat Jesus like that. If you do this for me, I'll do this for you. Oh, Lord, if you get me that job, Lord, if you help me win the lottery, I've heard people pray for that. Lord, if you help me, then I will live for you. And Jesus says, hey, what do you think this arrangement is? I'm not a slot machine. I'm not a vending machine. You don't just put something in and get what you want.
1: I've come for a relationship. So when you look at this relationship side, he gets into a conversation with this group of people, and they start talking about this whole bread of life, and which really then starts to prompt the Moses piece. So I, we would encourage you, Like we're we're touching on verses of Scripture, but in your personal time, go and read the rest of the story. There's so much more material here, but we want to stay to what Jesus was talking about when He talked about, I am the bread of life. Mm-hmm. By raising that statement, immediately, if you're in the culture, sure. they're going, whoa, time out. Moses, you want to talk about providing bread, Moses is our hero. Because Moses is the <laughs> one who brought the manna into the story. And of course, they revered Moses. And this becomes one of this. And if you're following along in your notes, go into your second point and just write in the word sign, because Jesus is going to talk about a sign and he's going to start to compare it back to Moses. And even in this moment, he he says, you're always looking for a sign. I tell you, I'm the sign. And the Father has put a seal
0: upon me. Yeah, you know, we're so guilty of, of underrating, I think, the power of the culture of Scripture sometimes. You know, you've traveled a lot, Pastor. I've had a chance to travel a lot. I've been in some countries where, you know, I have to watch what finger I hold up because in that country it's really bad, but in another country it's okay. So when I preach, I just put my hands behind my back because I don't want to offend anybody. I've sat in churches in the South where if I sat down and did this, the congregation would freak out freak out because I was showing them the sole of my foot and in their culture it's placing a curse on the congregation. So I'm like, "What?" I don't know. So the culture is so important to understand. So when Jesus comes and he says, "I'm the bread of life," in fact, the Father has put his seal on me. We don't even know what a seal is today. We think of a seal, you know, the animal at the circus or the animal up in the Arctic, we're talking about like a seal that uh, people of, of kingship, people of, of, of finances would put on their documents. Mm-hmm. And when they put this seal on the document, it did one of three things: it would it would give authenticity to the letter. If I put my seal on this letter, it's authentic. You know, it's not a fake. I'm the only one in the kingdom that has the seal. Also, it provides ownership. If you see that seal and it's authentic, you know that I'm the one who's sending the letter. And because I'm the one who's sending a letter, what's inside of it, what's revealed out of it, will have absolute authority because it comes from me. Mm. So when Jesus says the Father has placed his seal on me, It gets lost on us, but right away they're saying, hang on a second, you say God sent you? God is the one who's given you the authority, and what comes out of you is a 100% authentic? When you speak as if it's God speaking, one little word seal, and all of a sudden that statement takes on so much more meaning. And this is true of many of the words and statements of Jesus.
1: So let's look at this. We put it in your notes. It's in John chapter 6, verse 32 and 33. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you bread from heaven, but it is my (laughs) Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So you got this jostling, this interaction. It's almost like this intellectual kind of jargoning going on. And they're positioning themselves and wondering, who are you that you would take on Moses? Because there are a couple (laughs) of things. So Capernaum's important because, you know, right around where they were there, why would Jesus use the image of bread of life? I mean, that plays into this as well. He could have chose fish from the day before. Yeah, it might have been different
0: if Jesus got up and he said, I am the fish of life. Doesn't sound as powerful, but he said, "I am the bread of life." Not just because it sounded cooler, but because of where he was in Capernaum. Uh, Here in Canada, the prairies are the breadbasket of our country. But in ancient Israel, Capernaum was the breadbasket of the region. Uh, That's where they would manufacture and grind all of the wheat. And to this very day, when you go, hopefully with the church, to to Israel and you go to Capernaum, you'll see these massive millstones that would place a large piece of timber through. Tied off to an oxen or a donkey or something, and they would go round and round in circles and crush and crush and crush. And in the middle of this, imagine Jesus on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. They're fishing, but as he's claiming to be the bread of life, they're actually making bread in that village. And so he uses his surroundings as a means to make his point. In fact, he says, I'm not just the bread of life, that comes thousands of years ago, but he said you have to have daily bread. Hmm. You have to have fresh bread. You can't live off of what happened hundreds or
1: even decades ago. You have to have bread that's fresh every single day. So i got a quick question. Everybody is listening in. They go, got it? It's, it's like uh, very, very important. What was the name of the little village we're talking about? Okay, raise your hand real quick. Who's got it? Right here. Come on down, get a loaf of bread. Get a loaf of bread. Yep. The two of you together. Don't eat it while we're talking, though, okay? (laughs) Cal, you've been there. You've been on the boat over there. You've enjoyed some of the food over there. So enjoy that. So in Capernaum, we've got this whole experience that's been taking place. They're beginning to understand. We just lost everybody. They're just thinking about about how do I get get bread? That's all they're thinking about. Yeah, it's like bring everybody back again. (laughs) They're thinking, I'm going to wait for the next question. (laughs) And we're totally going to forget to ask the question. That's what's going to happen here. So here we are in Capernaum, breadbasket of the Galilee. Yeah. People are living. It's like an illustrated sermon. They're going. They can smell the grain. They can smell the bread. They can see everything taking place. Jesus goes, I'm the bread of life. They're struggling because of Moses. Now, I just will take maybe yeah. 45 seconds or so. The whole synagogue piece. There was a moment when Jesus, the Bible says that he went into the synagogue, oh, he okay. read, and then he sat down. Yeah. And again, that, that ties in because it's got the Moses connection to this. Go into that for yeah. us. Yeah, you know,
0: geography, culture is so important to understanding the Bible. When Jesus kind of compares himself to the bread that Moses gave, that's like, whoa, you don't touch Moses. You can talk about this person. You don't talk. You... Moses led us out of Egypt. He parted the Red Sea. He sent down plagues. He fed us. And Jesus says, no, he didn't. God did all of that. No, he didn't. He goes, in fact, the bread I give you, even if Moses did give it, it's way better than Moses. Oh, now it's on. Hmm. Now it's on. You're challenging like our patriarch, Moses. And so you get to the the book of Luke, and Jesus is in the synagogue, and he's reading, the Bible says, and he's past the the scroll, and he reads it. But then after he, he reads it, he gives it back to the attendant, and he sits down, and the eyes of everybody in the synagogue are fastened on him. And I don't think sitting down is that impressive. You're all sitting. I'm not impressed. I'm sitting. Are you impressed? What would happen is, see, in Deuteronomy eighteen eighteen, God made a promise to Moses. And he said, Moses, I'm going to send a prophet who's better than you. I'm going to send a prophet who's bigger than you, who's more important than you, and he's going to come from your own brothers, and you must listen to that prophet. So the the Jewish people were expecting this second Moses to come. It was another term for the Messiah, but they never actually expected him to come. But just in case he came, they wanted to be ready. So what they did was at the front of all the major synagogues, that Capernaum was a major city, so it had the seat, and it was called the seat of Moses. And that was reserved for just him. And only Moses, when he would come, he would sit in the seat. Mm-hmm. So first Jesus says, my bread is better than Moses' bread. And now I'm going to sit in his chair because I am the one that you've been waiting for. And without saying a word, he claims to be the Messiah. Come on, this a wow so, moment.
1: Wow to God. Wow. Yeah. So you have you have all of this context coming together. So... Jesus saying, I am the bread of life. He's redirecting people that are watching for, you know, the spectacular and they're just consumed by signs. Brings them back to the seal of the Father's approval upon his own life. And as they're wrestling with the Moses conversation, you know, who's really the greater one? And he goes, (laughs) I've got this one. They're having such a hard time with this that he says, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. I've got the Father's approval. Jesus then ramps it up. He goes, unless you eat my flesh and you drink my... Now, has anybody ever had a hard time with that verse before? That is not kosher, just so you know. I know. That, you don't have to go to the other side of the lake no, for this no. one to not be kosher. And so he says to them, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, how repulsive that would have been to them. And they're going, what are you talking about? What he's doing is he's breaking them out of religion. Listen, organized religion will kill you. It'll mm. kill you. He's bringing him into relationship and he's going, don't you understand? I have come to seek and save the lost. The father's put a seal of approval upon me. I'm the one that has life. And that third point, I want you to write a word down. It's this word sincerity. Mm. He's looking for our response of sincerity towards who He claims to be. Mm-hmm. And that's really what John's going to, over and over and over in his text, he's going to pull this out. He uses a word. He talks about belief. But let me read a couple of verses. John six forty one and 42. When they heard Jesus talk this way, at this the Jews began to grumble about Him because He said, yeah. I'm the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can He say, I came down from heaven? They knew Him. Yeah, He was a boy from the neighborhood.
0: You know, Again, because we're so removed from the culture, we get about the humanity side of the story sometimes. And they said, what do you mean you came from heaven? You're Joseph and Mary's kid. You come from Nazareth. Unless Nazareth is heaven, you didn't come from no heaven. You came from Nazareth. And you and your dad are cabinet makers. You were in my kitchen last week fixing my sink, and today you're the Moses? Come on. So understand the humanity behind it. And the reason why they get so offended when he says, He says, eat my flesh, drink my blood. These Pharisees, these Sadducees who are so religious, who would never do anything unkosher, would never even think of such a thing. But he wasn't talking about the physical, was Mm. he? When he says, come and eat, he was saying, come every single day and eat the bread that I give you, which are my words, which is my wisdom. God is calling us to a deeper relationship, not just to some fireworks sign in the sky, but he says, come every single day and eat of me. You know what? Thank God he gave you a vision 20 years ago. I'm glad he gave you a word 10 years ago. That's awesome. But you know what? It's probably filled with mold by now. Mm -hmm. And my dad, being of Portuguese descent, always had to have fresh bread every day. He said, two day old, two day old bread, go feed it to the ducks at High Park. Not for me. God is calling us to come after him on a daily basis and every day consume
1: what he gives us. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. So when you look at Jesus having this conversation then, and he's elevating the stakes, They're struggling with Him because He's going, you know, unless you do this, this is actually a point in the Scripture, and many would be familiar if you've read your Bible, where many of the people would turn and walk away. They go, this is too hard. Because they they could not get their minds around. Now, I mentioned this earlier. John repeatedly uses this word believe. Mm -hmm. We've talked about sincerity. So John actually uses in the word here, in John 6.44, Jesus speaking says this, "'No one can come to Me unless the Father who sent Me draws them, and I will raise them up at the last day.'" Watch that. So Jesus talking to them, He goes, "'Unless My Father draws you, Mm -hmm. you can't come to Me.'" Now we know from Scripture that God loves the whole world. He wants everyone to be saved. So that's the work of the Father. Jesus said, "'I've come to seek and save the lost.'" But he does something else. He throws another little statement at the very end of that. He goes, and at the last day, I'll raise them up. You go, why would he put that in there? Because in that crowd of people, not Mm -hmm. only did you have the Pharisees and the teachers of the laws and the ordinary people, but you had the Sadducees who did not believe in the resurrection. So Jesus goes, I'm going to correct your religion and your theology here. And that would have agitated the Sadducees because they go, we don't even believe there's a resurrection. So they go, we're Mm -hmm. we're not going to trust. and We're not going to believe you. But... Simon Peter, yeah, the follower of Jesus. What an incredible statement that he makes. Take us into his story. You
0: know, great words. You know, Peter is one of those guys where you know he he just jumps in and he doesn't even calculate the danger. He's the guy who jumps off you know the cliff and there may be water, there may not be water. Uh, many times I've said this before. Uh, the Bible will say, and Jesus uh, or and Peter replied, but nobody ever asked Peter a question. He just loved to, to say things, but every once in a while he gets it right. Yeah at Caesarea he says you are the Christ you are the son of the living god and here he says something so powerful in John uh, chapter 6 68 and 69 and Peter answered them lord because Jesus said are you going to desert me too are these words too strong are you going to go too and he says lord he said to whom shall we go no that's what we were saying where, where are you going to go to whom shall you go for you have the words of eternal life. Lots of people have lots of words, but Jesus and Jesus alone has the words of eternal life. You know, our words will be faded in just a few moments, Mm -hmm. but the words of Jesus as preserved in the sacred text called the Bible will live on to eternity. In fact, the Bible says heaven and earth will pass away, but the word of the Lord endures. And that's the bread that Jesus is calling us to partake of every single day.
1: When I approach this, the question is always, what's the appropriate response? Because it's not just a historical conversation. Mm. This is a relevant conversation today. So when we look at us as followers of Jesus, most of us would be. Mm. Some of us are searching or we're seeking. But what would the appropriate response be today for someone who's a follower of Jesus?
0: You know, I think it's what, what I just said, that it's to come to him because he is the only one who has the words of life. You know, we go online and we read this article and that article and we check out Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and what everybody else is saying. But the one who matters the most, sometimes we go to him last. Mm-hmm. What does this preacher say? What does that church say? And Jesus says, well, just come to me. Just come to me. Come and eat the words that I give you. They'll give you what you need. And so our honest and sincere sincere response to what Jesus is saying is to come. To come every day, sit at his feet and say, oh, God, I need this today. Yesterday's food is, guess what? Yesterday's food. But we as believers need to come every single day at his feet. Mm -hmm. And that's why these 40 days of prayer, I think, are so important. Every single day, come. Don't treat him like that vending machine. But instead say, Lord, what can I give to you today?
1: And I think the other part for us to recognize is wherever you are on your faith continuum, if you're curious or seeking or asking questions, the conversation that Jesus raises is very, very significant for you. Because for Him to make the declaration, I am the bread of life, it speaks into our world that we're all seeking for something that will give sustenance, meaning, and purpose to our Mm -hmm. lives. And so my challenge to you today would be, if you're watching online, if you're in the room, or if you're listening to my voice, that if you're you're searching for Jesus, there's all the questions that you have, and they're legitimate questions, and they're going to be answered in due time. But Jesus always cuts through the haze and brings us to clarity. And He goes... I am the one. I am the one the Father sent. We know last week the historical reality of the presence and existence of Jesus. Now He ups it and He takes (laughs) it into His own words and He goes, and I'm the one that the Father has put His seal of approval on me. My Father is drawing you. You know, here's what I know to be true. Mm. Is oftentimes we feel this inner response mechanism. We can't quite put our finger on what it is, but we know, we feel a prompting, we need to respond. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's That's what God does when He draws us, that unsettledness and that what we call sometimes a discontent. It's the the prompting, the drawing of the Holy Spirit to go, I know there's something more to this and I don't know everything about this, but I feel like I need to take the first step. And for you today, the first step is simply to go, yes, Jesus, Mm -hmm. I believe you are who you said you are. I believe you've done what you said you did, and and I believe you truly are the Son of God. And taking that first step doesn't mean all the questions get answered immediately. It just means you begin the journey that all of us are on to discover fully who Jesus really is and recognize why He came. So today I want to pray for all of us before we dismiss. Because for those of us as believers, thank you for reminding us. Every day it's fresh food from the Lord. Every day. I don't live on my experience from 20 years ago, 30 years ago, or even five weeks ago. Every day, it's got to be that fresh relationship with Jesus. And if we're searching, today's the day that we start the journey. Would you pray with me? Father, this morning, I want to thank you. The privilege Joe and I have of standing and communicating and sharing from truth of your word. For many of us, we would see ourselves as followers of Jesus and experience what it is to walk with you. But I pray that we wouldn't live on our past experiences, that sensationalism wouldn't be the thing that draws us to be curious to follow You, but rather the freshness of Your truth lived out every day is what would change and produce Your life in us. And so, Lord, I pray that as a church community that would be our reality. I also pray, Lord, for those that are searching. Mm -hmm. they got legitimate, honest questions. But there are some today that for the first time they just need to say yes to You. There's that inner prompting of the Holy Spirit and though they maybe can't express what it is, they know that it's there and that's you drawing them. And your word says all we need to do is believe. Simply believe Jesus is who He said He was and He can do what He said He would do in our lives. And so as they make that declaration, may today you respond as you said you would. You'd give them the assurance of your spirit and together as a community, we will walk with them as they grow in the Mm -hmm. knowledge of You as their Lord and Savior. So we thank You for that, and we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.